War and Peace, Second Epilogue, Chapter 12, read for LibriVox.org. From the time the law of Copernicus was discovered and proved, the mere recognition of the fact that it was not the sun but the earth that moves sufficed to destroy the whole cosmography of the ancients. By disproving that law it might have been possible to retain the old conception of the movement of the bodies, but without disproving it, it would seem impossible to continue studying the Ptolemaic worlds. But even after the discovery of the law of Copernicus, the Ptolemaic worlds were still studied for a long time. From the time the first person said and proved that the number of births or of crimes is subject to mathematical laws, and that this or that mode of government is determined by certain geographical and economic conditions, and that certain relations of population to soil produce migration of peoples, the foundation on which history has been built were destroyed in their essence. By refuting these new laws, the former view of history might have been retained, but without refuting them, it would seem impossible to continue studying historic events as the result of man's free will. For if a certain mode of government was established, or certain migrations of people took place in consequence of such and such geographic, ethnographic, or economic conditions, then the free will of those individuals who appear to us to have established that mode of government, or occasioned their migrations, can no longer be regarded as the cause. And yet the former history continues to be studied side by side with the laws of statistics, geography, political economy, comparative philology, and geology, which directly contradict its assumptions. The struggle between the old views and the new was long and stubbornly fought out in physical philosophy. Theology stood on guard for the old views and accused the new of violating revelation. But when truth conquered, theology established itself just as firmly on the new foundation. Just as prolonged and stubborn is the struggle now proceeding between the old and the new conception of history, and theology in the same way starts on guard for the old views and accuses the new view of subverting revelation. In the one case, as in the other, on both sides the struggle provokes passion and stifles truth. On the one hand there is fear and regret for the loss of the whole edifice constructed through the ages. On the other is the passion for destruction. To the men who fought against the rising truths of physical philosophy, it seemed that if they admitted that truth, it would destroy faith in God, in the creation of the firmament, and in the miracle of Joshua, the son of Nun. To the defenders of the laws of Copernicus and Newton, to Voltaire, for example, it seemed that the laws of astronomy destroyed religion, and he utilized the law of gravitation as a weapon against religion. Just so it now seems as if we have only to admit the law of inevitability to destroy the conception of the soul, of good and evil, and all the institutions of state and church that have been built on those conceptions. So too, like Voltaire in his time, uninvited defenders of the law of inevitability Today use that law as a weapon against religion, though the law of inevitability in history, like the law of Copernicus in astronomy, 
far from destroying, even strengthens the foundation on which the institutions of state and church are erected. As in the question of astronomy then, though in the question of history now, the whole difference of opinion is based on the recognition or non-recognition of something absolute, serving as a measure of visible phenomena. In astronomy it was the immovability of the earth. In history it is the independence of personality, free will. As with astronomy, the difficulty of recognizing the motion of the earth lay in abandoning the immediate sensation of the earth's fixity and of the motion of the planets. So in history, the difficulty of recognizing the subjection of personality to the laws of space, time, and cause lies in renouncing the direct feeling of the independence of one owns personality. But as in astronomy, the new few said, It is true that we do not feel the movement of the earth, but by admitting its immobility we arrive at absurdity, while by admitting its motion, which we do not feel, we arrive at laws. So also in history the new few says, It is true that we are not conscious of our dependence, but by admitting our free will we arrive at absurdity while by admitting our dependence on the external world, on time and on cause, we arrive at laws. In the first case it was necessary to renounce the consciousness of an unreal immobility in space and to recognize a motion we did not feel. In the present case it is similarly necessary to renounce a freedom that does not exist and to recognize independence of which we are not conscious. End of chapter 12 End of War and Peace Second Epilogue End of the novel War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy This LibriVox recording is in the public domain.